0: and welcome to episode 66 of Left of Skeptic. My name is Brittany Lind
1: and I am Kayla Moria. And we're a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are.
0: <laughs> Kayla, how are you? <laughs> you? That was other than spooky.
1: <laughs> I would, I would just like to point out that you just said Kayla in your disappointed voice. Like you Kayla, Kayla, how are you? <laughs> i'm good i wasn't disappointed in you (laughs) i'm never disappointed in you i am good i am getting so stoked so amped up because it's almost homegrown i know oh my gosh so less than a week away i am ready i am going to unapologetically plug my stuff right now do it do it if you are in Duluth or the surrounding area and want to go to Homegrown, which is an eight-day-long music festival here in Duluth, May 1st to May 8th, tons of bands, Britney Knows Better Numbers, tons of venues, Britney Knows Better Numbers, but it's great, it's amazing, I love it. 30 bucks gets you in all week, and in that $30, you can see my band, Vin Hosen. Vin Hosen. We are going to be playing Tuesday night at 10 o'clock. At the deck, which is absolutely insane, and I'm so happy about it. You can also see the burlesque troupe that I MC for the Duluth Dolls at R.T. Quinlan's at 1215, I think, or 1245. It's in the the guide. It's in the field guide and on their website, DuluthHomegrown.org. DuluthHomegrown.org. And I know that there
0: are at least 170 bands. And I did not count the venues. Okay. But but it spans across the city of Duluth, over the bridge into Superior, Wisconsin, which is my little spiel that I give every time I talk about
1: homegrown. It's going to be great. I'm so excited to see you at the deck. I'm just so excited. And I'm, ooh, and kickballs coming back. Yeah. If you have kiddos and can't come out, or you don't feel like paying $30, even though that is a steal of a deal... You can mm-hmm. just come to Chester Bowl in Duluth on that Saturday the 7th at noon and watch a bunch of musicians play kickball badly.
0: Badly. <laughs> uh, I will also have my uh, my gym parachute with me. And I'll
1: have my tuba. So
0: we can play with that. It'll be super fun. There
1: you go. So yeah. that's what my entire week has pretty much consisted of. Uh, so that's putting me in a good mood. Also. Uh-huh. By the time this comes out, it'll be Wednesday, obviously, spooky Wednesday. But today, the day are we recording this Monday, the 25th. It is my mom's birthday. Happy birthday, mama. Happy birthday,
0: Kayla's mama.
1: Love you very much.
0: Of course you do, even though she harasses you so much about her crazy outfits and worshiping the devil. She doesn't really, though. I
1: just like to play it up. (laughs) No, but you you do harass her oh, about your
0: crazy outfit that is yeah, worshipping the devil. That is
1: true. Hail Satan. Brittany, how are you? Um,
0: pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. I have to uh be at Hoop's Brewing Company tomorrow at six forty five in the morning mm-hmm. because it's our board of directors meeting. Gross. And I'm just there to set up. And then I'm spending all day at the Xena City Marketing Conference, which I'm really excited about. However, I heard some mm, not bad news, but not personally great news for me, okay. like right before we got on. Uh, my friend Margie messaged me. And she's like, hey, I just saw you in the background of the In Cahoots opening on Fox 21. It's, it's a new business that's kind of between Huckleberry and Reimagined, these cute little retail shops in Cahoots. They had their, their ribbon cutting this morning, and I went to it. Cute. And she's like, it looked like you were stretching your neck or tilting your head back and forth, laughing, crying emoji. And I was like, damn it. Why does everyone always seem to videotape me doing the weirdest frigging things? So I'm just in the background of this, like, You know, ribbon cutting and my head is going back and forth or I look like I'm stretching (laughs) and I was like, God damn it. And I saw the guy from the news filming me and I kept trying to move so that I wasn't in the shot. But then he just kept moving his shot to where I was. And I was like, ah. (laughs) And then it occurred to me that what I was actually doing was dancing because I had Call Me Maybe stuck in my head. So I'm just sitting there, (laughs) rocking my head back and forth to the Call Me Maybe song, just dancing around this thing, and apparently it got recorded and then put on the news. And I was like, you know what? It is so unnecessary for you to use this footage for your story. There was plenty of footage where I wasn't dancing in it, but all right, thank you, Fox 21.
1: Oh, God. I'm
0: always, I'm always, I've been on the news so many times, and every single time I'm always doing something weird with my face <laughs> or with my body. And I'm like, why? Oh, why? <laughs> if oh we ever God. actually record the podcast, like you guys will get a chance to see the weird things that I do with my face or like with my head because I'm always just kind of. Just wobbling around, I guess. Oh,
1: God, that was great. Thank you for that. (laughs) You're welcome. I don't know that anything either of us could say could top that. (laughs) (laughs) What were you doing? Oh, I was just dancing in my head to call me maybe. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Brittany,
0: I saw you on the news. You were doing something weird with your neck. And I was like, yeah, you know, here's my number. So, call me maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, all right. Uh, So, we have some stories, right? Yep. (laughs) Change the topic. Yep.
1: Are you ready for me this week? I am. I'm so ready. So, I learned that apparently Uh uh, Steve, your partner, has been waiting for me to tell a ghost train episode. I, I didn't know that I didn't until know he that.
0: commented on our Instagram. And I was like, oh, okay. So apparently okay. Cool.
1: that's been a thing very excited. he was very stoked yeah. about. So I decided we're just going to roll with this like supernatural forms of transportation theme that I un- accidentally have going on. You just stumbled upon and caught Steve's fancy? So I decided to pull something off of the reserved list that I've had there for a while. Okay. SEPTA, or the Southeastern Pennsylvania Transportation Authority, is a regional public transportation authority that operates bus, rapid transit, commuter rail, light rail, and electric trolleybus services for nearly 4 million people in five counties in and around Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. SEPTA has the sixth largest U.S. rapid transit system by ridership, and the fifth-largest overall transit system with about 302 million annual unlinked trips as of 2018. It controls 290 active stations, over 450 miles of track, 2,350 revenue vehicles, 196 routes, and one bus to nowhere. Wow. Now, this is not to be confused with the trend in the last, like, I don't know, five years or so, pre-COVID, where there was just this thing to get on a bus to nowhere and see what happens as an excuse to travel.
0: Oh, yeah. This is a literal bus to nowhere.
1: And it is also not to be confused with a thing that going on in Hong Kong that has made the news in the last couple of years where people literally hop on a bus to nowhere to take a nap
0: I don't know what that is. There's
1: this thing in Hong Kong where they have these buses to nowhere where where people basically pay to ride a quiet bus so that they can take a nap or just have some downtime.
0: Aww. Well, that, yeah, kind of sounds Both of those
1: things popped up a lot in my research. It was a lot of weeding through things. But I'm talking about a literal bus to nowhere. I'm so excited. The bus to nowhere, also called the wandering bus and which from here on out, I will refer to just as the bus. Looks like any other bus on the SEPTA system. It's a basic city bus. It has SEPTA on the side. It's got marquee lights at the top, all of that. But the marquee lights at the top of the bus don't give a line number, a destination, or a route. It simply says SEPTA. In other versions of the story, the marquee simply shows the number zero. And it should be noted that there is no bus route zero in the SEPTA system or bus number zero. Aside from this weird marquee trait, there is nothing remarkable about the bus. That's the only thing that helps you know what it is. regular old bus. It's unknown how full the bus is. People who recall riding it usually state that they can't remember how many passengers were on with them. Any details about the other passengers, or even if there were, in fact, any other passengers at all. Spooky. It stops at no designated bus stops. It has no schedule. So you can't go out looking for it. There is no specific intersection or time where people can go to try and see it. And it certainly does not show up for just anyone. The driver, whoever it may be, because there never seems to be any solid memory of them, seems Mm -hmm. to sense exactly who is in need of assistance. The bus shows up for people who are at the absolute lowest point in their lives.
0: So this is kind of like the bus version of the room of requirements.
1: Or, I mean, if you're going to go that route, the night bus, I guess. Uh Aha. Yes. Yes. Yep. So and the the lowest point of their lives is a sliding scale, you know, Mm-hmm. For some people, it's really, 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 really major. For other people, it might appear to not be that major in perspective, but at, for them at that point, it's their lowest point. Does mm-hmm. that make that make sense?
0: Yeah, of course. We gauge our the badness in our lives differently depending on
1: what we have experienced previously. Yep. In some versions of the lore, the bus doesn't actually completely stop. It's sort of just slows slows down enough for you to try and get on so if the bus presents itself to you you're going to have to get a move on if you want to try to board
0: i don't know if i would do that get on an unmarked bus that's not even officially stopping
1: just like wait wait, wait, i want to get on there (laughs) let's see where this goes apparently nowhere but in other versions after determining a likely candidate The bus drives by them once, either to get the passenger's attention or maybe check the passenger out for themselves to see if they really need help. Mm -hmm. After seeing it for the first time, those to whom the bus is really intended for will know instinctively that help has arrived. If a passenger sees the bus but ignores the offer for help, it will not come around again. If the passenger wishes to board the bus, they must wave it down and get inside. If permission is granted, the doors open, allowing them to step inside. In other words, passengers on the bus need to want to be on the bus. They have to try.
0: That is so creepy. It just sounds like such a bad idea.
1: In both versions of this, you either have to, like, try to hop on it or you have to Uh wave it down. This is you seeking for help. I know you keep coming back to it seems like a bad idea, but you got to keep in mind that... At this point, it's the lowest point of their lives, and instinctively you know why you're trying to get on the bus to nowhere. It's not like, oh, I just happen to be out walking, here's a random bus. Like, this is something, something inside of you is searching for. Okay. It holds the answers, the key to my happiness. As they board, an automated voice announces the name of the intersection from which the person was picked up. No mention is made of where the ride will end. and The bus has no actual destination. According to those who remember bits and pieces from their ride on the bus to nowhere, it just drives. No specific place, it could be a loop, it could have no pattern at all, it just wanders. No payment is required. Some former passengers say that they offered whatever change they had on hand, while others paid nothing. The driver just stares straight ahead, not engaging with the passengers, other than to motion for them to take a seat before departing. Mm. The bus is silent. Once seated, the journey begins. Those who retained some memories of what happened next recalled almost immediately falling into a state of deep reflection. During this period of soul-searching, the events that led them to the point of desperation, what has led them to get the bus to them, Mm kind of comes back one by one. Every possible scenario and outcome play out in their mind, and it is only when they realize what they need, what they want to change, what will help them, whatever their struggle is, that they can move forward. So as they work through their issues, riders are aware that there are others on the bus, but no one ever seems to re- like fully recollect who they were or what they looked like. Not a word is spoken aloud throughout the journey, which normally lasts for several hours. In some instances, if accounts are to be believed... The ride could continue indefinitely. Apparently, the length of the journey is reliant on how long it takes each individual to both recognize and remedy the behaviors that brought them there in the first place.
0: Yeah, if you, if you don't have a remedy, then I guess, yeah,
1: just quiet reflection forever. Passengers are conscious that the bus is moving, but say that nothing can be seen of the world outside. As it moves along, the vehicle is kind of self-contained. It's its own Mm. ship, just out there. Those on board are so focused on themselves that while you're there, nothing else exists. Riders know that they have emerged triumphant when they gaze out the windows and see the twinkling of the city lights. The experience has been likened to kind of just being snapped out of a trance. Like you're zoning, you're zoning, and then all of a sudden everything comes into focus. No longer lost in their own thoughts, their own sadness, they are ready to leave the bus and get things figured out. It's when they reach this epiphany that the individual, now revitalizes, tugs on the bus cord, saying, Hey, Mm -hmm. it's time for me to hop off. The passenger is subsequently dropped off in the same location from which they were picked up. Shortly after they disembark, the bus disappears into the night, presumably to resume its travels, minus that passenger. And what is the company that this bus is from? SEPTA. Huh. I'm just imagining
0: that there's some sort of, like, Buffy or supernatural thing where SEPTA actually stands for something. Like, it could mean something normal and and bus-like, but then the actual, like, magical version, it stands for, like, uh, secrets, eternity to
1: power. I don't know. I. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not. I was waiting to see what you came up with there, but no, I'm pretty sure it's just Southeastern Pennsylvania Transit Authority. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Excuse me. Oh, that caught me off guard. Give me a little bit of
0: time. I'll come up with something better than secrets, eternity, power,
1: (laughs) whatever. (laughs) What occurs after the bus ride is kind of as confusing as the bus ride itself. Some former passengers say that they were delivered to a point in time preceding the events of actually going down the downward spiral like a weird sense of deja vu. Oh. Like they were given a chance to make different decisions?
0: Yeah, they've they've contemplated what went wrong and when and then they got dropped off so that they could avoid
1: those same actions. And so they've basically, yeah, they've been shown the error of their ways, or how to avoid things that have happened to them, and so they can fix it before it gets out of hand. And it is believed that in some cases, the bus not only allows people to work through their past, but gives them an opportunity to fix it from ever happening. Wow. In contrast, some riders recall next to nothing of their time on the bus, or what happened once it was over, they remember little other than stepping onto the bus and back off again, They know that they were on the bus, but whatever took place there is lost to them, perhaps intentionally. Mm -hmm. And for a handful Mm -hmm. of passengers, their level of despair runs so deep that they cannot be helped. In those instances, the bus only reinforces what they already know, which is that their situation is not something that can be helped. It was fate. That would suck. Everyone else gets to have a happy ending. Yeah. Yeah. With nothing to gain from the experience, they are forced to exit the bus, never having found deliverance. For those who either couldn't figure out what to fix or there was nothing to fix, those are kind of the ones that they believe intentionally forget what the bus ride is. And usually when they're dropped off, even though it feels like it's been hours, They're pretty much... It's like they never got on the bus. They're just right exactly where they were when they got picked up.
0: That is such a bummer. Talk about being, like, completely helpless.
1: Those who can't handle having their emotions just kind of thrown out there and forced to examine them for those who are not ready for the bus therapy, they can ask or demand to be let out of the bus early. The driver is forced to oblige, leaving them exactly as he found them, both physically and emotionally. Is only after the bus pulls away that they realize that they probably should have stayed on that bus and figured out what was going on. Mm -hmm. And there are others who try hard, but even if they wanted it, they're just still not able to fully piece it all out. So it's not that they weren't ready for it. It's not that nothing could help. They just couldn't track it all down. Striving for a breakthrough that will never come. They ride the bus forever. Their loved ones never knowing what became of them. That was something that was thrown in on, like, two different resources. But I could find nothing to back it up. I found no missing persons reports where they were like, hey, this person disappeared on a bus forever. So I don't know the the full factuality behind that one. I like
0: how you're, in all of this bus story, you're like, I don't know how I feel about these people being gone forever, though. There was no proof. Left of skeptic. Left of (laughs)
1: Accounts of the vehicle, sometimes also referred to as Bus Zero, first appeared in 2011 in what were supposed to be works of fiction. This was called into question when dozens of Philadelphians came forward to say that they knew the events depicted to be true. They had experienced them firsthand. Oh. These former passengers told of massive life changes that occurred in their lives following them having gotten on and off the bus. Until this story came forward, they thought they had found this bus totally by accident. Most claimed that they had been walking along a darkened street, wallowing in self-pity, when this bus just kind of caught their attention and they popped on. Even though they had no destination in mind, they had somehow known that the bus was the light at the end of the tunnel for them and they had been looking for it. Sensing that this was their last hope, they had climbed aboard, not knowing what the ride had in store for them, and fearing that they were nearing the end of life's journey, they had nothing else to lose. The idea that the city of Philadelphia is home to a bus that travels only at night, offering like a rando sanctuary filled with new beginnings, (laughs) sounds a little, you know, like, left, left, left of skeptic. (laughs) That said... Stories continue to come forward to this day of people who say, adamantly, unequivocally, that they regained their will to live after taking a bus ride that led them through their own mindset. To add to the mystery, the bus, or ones like it, have been sighted in other cities across the northeastern United States. Operating between the hours from dusk till dawn, it seems to know exactly where it is needed and shows up accordingly. I read reports from New York and Maine.
0: Interesting. I wonder why it's like centralized up there.
1: It is possible, of course, that this wandering bus, bus to nowhere, bus zero, is merely just, you know, wishful thinking or a mass psychosis that people are doing to try to fix their problems. Mm -hmm. without being able to have access to or afford therapy therapy bus i mean it's working so all the same if you're ever in that situation you find yourself wandering around especially if you're in the northeastern states and you see a bus with a zero right on there and you're at a low point it might not be a bad idea to get on because like at that point what could it hurt I
0: feel a little weird giving that advice. <laughs> it seems like an, an
1: easy way to get some folks kidnapped. I mean, who has access to just like a city bus that looks like that? Come on. Bad guys. No. Nope. I'm 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 here for it. I'm team bus to nowhere. Okay. Okay. If the DTA comes up on me when I'm at a low point, the DTA is our local bus system.
0: Duluth Transit Authority.
1: If it comes up on me and I'm at a low point and I don't see one of their ridiculous, like, little marquees and there's no, I'm, I might hop on. You don't know. All right. All right. And then you'll do well, the podcast as as, by yourself as... for the rest of forever. What? I said, and then you'll do the podcast by yourself say, for the rest of forever. I was as long as you come
0: back to finish the <laughs> podcast and also tell us the story.
1: <laughs> so, you know. That is the story of the bus to nowhere, the SEPTA bus from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I think it's so
0: interesting that it's that very specific company. Like, I could imagine it being just a bus, but something about it being, like, the specific company's
1: bus is just so curious. Two reasons why I really liked this story and why I've been hanging on to it for a while and just waiting for a good time Uh to talk about it is because a it's not just a rando bus it is a septa bus like it fits that area right and because it's recent 2011 it is really recent is when this started that's kind of i mean for a lot of our stories we're like oh this was 200 years ago no this was 10 years ago oh you just wait till you get to my story (laughs) (laughs) it's not recent at all (laughs) So on a skeptic scale of para to normal, para being five, normal being one, what are you gonna give the bus to nowhere?
0: Okay, I'm having a really hard time
1: um buying it,
0: processing this. You're not bought in. I'm not bought in. I'm not. I mean, it would be paranormal if it was real. I just don't I don't think it's true. I'm gonna give it, you know what? I'm gonna give it a three. I'm gonna give it the benefit of the doubt. It could be true or it could not be true. Straight up middle ground. Uh, I mean, maybe I'll be proven wrong and I'll be like, sweet, bust to nowhere. Sept is zero, here we go. Um, But uh, yeah, no, that's, that's what I got. You're gonna hate me. You're gonna give it a five? I'm gonna give it a five. Oh my God.
1: I have given I think this is the such, most
0: we've ever disagreed on something. I
1: have given such low scores because nothing is believable and there's no evidence. I have given high scores because there's so much evidence, but I I am fully bought in. I am about it. I'm like a 1990s wrestling fan with how much I want this to be true. <sighs> So I want to believe. That's analogy. <laughs> I want to believe hard. I want to molder the fuck out about the fact that there is a bus out there basically giving free therapy to people who need it. Okay. So. Okay. Okay. Is it because you believe it exists
0: or is it because you just really would love the ability to solve all of your life's traumas in a single bus ride, and you're like, let
1: it be true. Let it be true. There's hope. I believe it exists. Okay. I'm I am so bought in that I have convinced myself that this exists. Okay.
0: Yeah, you're you're moldering the fuck out of it. I love that. Like I love a nineteen
1: sixties housewife who thinks that the moon landing was a set. I fully believe this.
0: Why does it have to be a housewife? Why can't it be like a stupid 1960s businessman?
1: Because it was it was a hairspray.
0: Oh, you're right. OK, I'm sorry. I didn't pick up on the reference.
1: <laughs> I'm just really I've, I've got eight million things that I could just compare this to. So anyway, that's my story. A three and a five with a, a lot of disagreement on that scoring there.
0: Right cuz I mean I realistically if I had done it based upon what our scale normally is would give it a 1. Yep. But I was like I also want to believe so I gave it a 3 and you're like I want to believe 5. Totally true.
1: Yeah. I, as we've said our score has no scientific basis. We just it
0: No, it really it's really very arbitrary. <laughs> I mean
1: fuck, I could be pmsing it could have gotten a totally different score, you know, like it's entirely based on my mood. Right
0: right no i feel that i feel that
1: what do you got for me this week
0: well tonight i'm a uh, i'm a uh, mixing it up a little bit ooh okay so not only am i going to cover several locations in one town what i like to call polinacela <laughs> i am also going to do my first two-parter
1: <gasps> i'm so excited
0: this was long As you will hear, and it doesn't even get into some of the other stuff I want to talk about. So next week, you'll hear the other half of this. But this week, and I guess next week as well, I'm going to be telling you about Kilkenny, Ireland. All right. And I would like to say, first and foremost, I'm going to butcher probably all of the names in this because I am me. And I can't say anything correctly. And I'm glad that currently our fans don't seem to, you know, attack me for it. But (laughs) I I would understand if you did because I never say anything right. (laughs) All right. So Kilkenny, Ireland. It was named one of the top five most haunted locations in Europe by travelandleisure.com. Its history dates back to as early as the 6th century. Because it's old. It's located about 80 miles from Dublin and the city has gone through several phases over the years. It originally started as an ecclesiastical foundation within the kingdom of Ossory, which, after a lot of Googling, I think, means that it was basically set aside for Ossory, which was a medieval kingdom in Ireland, to have a significant tie to the church. Okay, that tracks. I think. Maybe. I'm like 60% sure that that's what that <laughs> means. Uh, if not, you know, let me know. Or don't. I don't I don't know. I already said it and it's recorded, so here we go. Then, following the Norman invasion of Ireland, the Kilkenny Castle was built, as well as a series of walls that surrounded the community, which by that time had been turned into a merchant town, uh, which is when we start to see some of the buildings that still exist today beginning to be constructed. Control of the town and who resided there changed quite a bit over the next hundred years, depending on who was, like, lording over that part of Ireland at any given time. Mm -hmm. Kilkenny has been the center for rebellions, wars, conquests, and has had to endure more than a few tragedies. One of which will be the main topic of this week's episode. I'm going to tell you about Dame Alice Keitler's accusation of witchcraft, which led to the first witch trial of Ireland and the subsequent murder of Patronola de Meath.
1: So do we know how in timeline-wise this lines up with the witch trials in the U.S.?
0: It's it's way, way before. Well,
1: because I know there's been like, there's been... Witch trials many times over many years. I just didn't know if it was like significant at all in association. Okay. Just a totally separate Way, way, way before. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah. When were the witch trials in the U.S.? Like 1600s? Yeah. Yeah. This is like the 1300s.
1: Okay. So long ways off. Got it.
0: Way, way, way before. All right. So it all started back sometime in the mid-13th century when Alice and her family settled in Kilkenny. The Keitlers were described as a Flemish merchant family. So they were originally from like Belgium or the Netherlands, came to Ireland. They were merchants. In 1280, Alice Kettler married a man named William Outlaw, who was a wealthy merchant and a moneylender. Would I personally get involved with a moneylender whose last name was Outlaw? (laughs) Seems like you're maybe asking some trouble. Maybe it had a different meaning back then. Uh, But alas, they were married and they had a son also named William Outlaw. They may have also had a daughter named Rose. I'm not really sure. She was only mentioned in one of my sources and there was a question mark after her name. So who knows about Rose? Okay. Doesn't sound like she comes up again. I don't know if Rose existed, but possibly there was a daughter named Rose. Anyway, Alice was married to William Outlaw for about five-ish years And then he died, probably under suspicious circumstances, because after she married her second husband, a man named Adam Blund, who was also a moneylender, both Adam and Alice faced accusations of killing her first husband, William.
1: So a lot of alliteration there. So
0: it's 1302. Adam and Alice were accused of killing William. And they were like, we did not do that. And the Tones folk were like, "Okay." And then all (laughs) seemed well again. That's all it took. But then Adam died and I don't know how long they were married, just that they were already married in 1302 when the accusations were made and then less than seven years after like the marriage date of 1302 to Adam, she gets married a third time, this time to a landholder by the name of Richard DeVale. Again, butchering these names, don't know if I'm saying them right, super, super sorry. That's why I go with the first names because those are easy. So that marriage began sometime in or before 1309. And by this time, the townsfolk are starting to get pretty peeved with Alice, who with every new marriage seems to accumulate more and more wealth. She
1: takes my money when I'm in need. Sorry, continue.
0: (laughs) There I go dancing with my head again. (laughs) Good thing we're not recording the video. Anyway, also who keeps getting wealthier and wealthier is Alice's firstborn son, William, who becomes essentially her business partner when he grows up because by this time he's in his, like, late 20s, early 30s. And then, surprise, surprise, Richard died. And Alice asks his family for her dower. But Richard's son, whose name is also Richard DeVale, uh, did not want to pay his year old stepmom any of his family's money after his father's death. So Alice took him to court. And it sounds like she won and she recovered her widow's dower, which, hashtag fun fact, I had to Google because I was like, wait, what's the difference between a dower and a dowry? Yeah. A dowry is a payment, such as property or money, that is paid by the bride's family to the groom or his family at the time of marriage whereas a dower is a payment made traditionally by a husband or his family to a wife for her support should she become widowed. And it's also like a legal matter that's you know, set up at the time of the marriage, kind of like a, a prenup. You become widowed, you get this money, that's your dower.
1: Okay, okay. So my dowry when Sean married me is he got access to my Buffy DVDs. There we go.
0: Yeah, and what do you get in the event that you're widowed?
1: Um I don't even want to think about that. Don't we even think about that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's never gonna happen. I'm so sorry.
0: <laughs> Alright, so so little Richard didn't want to pay Alice's dower. Little Richard. Splish splash, I was taking a over. So little Richard didn't <laughs> want to pay Alice's dower. <laughs> anyway, so she took him to court and like I said, I think she ended up like winning in the end. It didn't really go into detail it doesn't sound like she lost so my assumption is that she won but yeah she got her dower and yet again she became richer people became more upset and then later that same year in 1316 following the death of her husband richard alice married again or as historyireland.com put it quote alice had acquired a fourth husband the knight sir john Poer. And John and Alice were married for roughly seven or eight-ish years when then in 1324, John fell ill and he began to express his concerns that he might have been poisoned. After Alice's fourth husband died, the stepchildren from her previous marriages were like, you're a witch, <laughs> and accused her of poisoning and committing sorcery against their fathers and also of favoring her firstborn son, William. There was a whole list of things that she was accused of doing, like denying the faith of Christ and the church, cutting up animals to sacrifice to demons at crossroads, holding nocturnal meetings in churches to perform black magic and undermine slash overpower the church, using sorcery and potions to control Christians, possessing a familiar named Robin Artisan, who was a lesser demon of Satan, and of course, the murder of her husbands. Hail Satan. So, oofta. Richard de Lorid, I don't know, the Bishop of Ossory decided that he needed to uphold the law of the church and of morality. So when he was presented with this case in 1324, he began Ireland's inaugural witch trial, starting with trying to get Alice arrested. Which was no easy feat, because over the years, Alice had made some really powerful friends who blocked every attempt from the bishop to get her into custody, like the chancellor of Ireland, who was probably related to her first husband, possibly his brother, and he was like, nah, bishop, she's family. And the bishop was like, arrest her. And then the chancellor insisted that instead she be excommunicated from Ireland for 40 days first. And I don't really know why other than to delay the trial. Okay. So instead of getting arrested, Alice ran away to this guy named Roger, whose last name I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce because it would, it would be bad. But the bishop insisted that Alice be arrested. And now this Roger guy should also be arrested for harboring a heretic. It did work out for him, though. They just cleared him of any wrongdoings, and he also didn't get poisoned, so I guess it's kind of like a double win for him. (laughs) The bishop then charged Alice and her son, William Outlaw II, with the crime of heresy. But William, like his mom, was kind of a hotshot. I think at one point in time he was actually the mayor of Kilkenny, Ireland. I don't know, but he was really high up there, and so he got the senior official of Dublin to throw the bishop in prison in the Kilkenny Castle. Jesus. Eventually, he was released. Probably because they didn't really have any reason to put him in prison. But and you know, he was the bishop. He
1: went, There's that, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they were like, what? You're just a man of the church. He's cool. Except for he kept going after Alice and all of her accomplices. And in the end, come come this time all of whom were being investigated for these seven counts of crimes. Committing heresy, sacrificing to demons, communing with demons, magically excommunicating and upsurping, it's usurping. (laughs) Magically magically excommunicating and usurping the church, making love and hate potions to corrupt Christians, (laughs) murdering her past husbands, And engaging in sexual affair with a demon.
1: Yo, sounds like she had a pretty cool life.
0: I'm saying, yeah. (laughs) She made a lot of money. She got rid of her boring old husbands. And uh, had a lot of
1: demons. Fuck yeah.
0: Yeah, a lot of demon fucking, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And then... In a true act of what the fuck, when the bishop couldn't get to Alice herself, he decided to torture one of her servants.
1: Mm, oh, that's I'm fucked so up. sorry.
0: Petronalia de Meath. I butchered that at the beginning. I'm going to butcher it at the end. All right. So he decided to torture her to obtain a confession of witchcraft. And part of her confession, per the bishop, went as such. On one of these occasions, by the crossroads outside of the city, she made an offering of three cocks to a certain demon, whom she called Robert, son of Art, from the depths of the underworld. She had poured out of the cock's blood, cut the animal into pieces, and mixed the intestines with spiders and other black worms, like scorpions, with an herb called milfoil, as well as other herbs and horrible worms. She had boiled this mixture in a pot with the brains and clothes of a boy who had died without baptism and the head of a robber who had been decapitated. Good soup. <laughs> Delicious soup. Uh, Petrolonia said she had several times at Alice's instigation and once in her presence consulted demons and received answers. She had consented to a pact whereby she would be the medium between Alice and the said Robert, her friend. In public, she said that with her own eyes, she had seen the aforesaid demon as three shapes in the form of three black men, each carrying an iron rod in the hand. This apparition happened by daylight. Before the said Dame Alice, and while Petrolonia herself was watching, the apparition had intercourse with Alice. After this disgraceful act with her own hand, she... Alice? Question mark. Uh, wiped clean the disgusting place with the sheets from her own bed. Kinky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, if she came up with all of that under torture, bravo! She should be a writer. That was pretty. That was pretty
1: impressive. <laughs> I'd read that novel.
0: Alice, however, during this time was said to have fled England. Just, just left her servant behind, though. I did read that she actually took her servant's, I'm not going to try and say her name again, it's just butchering, Uh, she took her servant's daughter with her and then just kind of like disappeared, never to be heard from again. Her servant, however, who had been left in Ireland, had been, you know, tortured into confessing witchcraft and ended up being charged as such. She was then flogged and burned at the stake on November 3rd, 1324. Brutal. Which is interesting because this all started in 1324, but I don't know what month. So, all of this entire situation with getting the bishop, you know, arrested and put into prison, and then she ran off for 40 days to hang out with that Roger guy, like all of that happened within one year. Mm -hmm. And then her servant ended up being burned at the stake in November. In that same year. I mean, in that same year. Busy year. It was a busy busy year. (laughs) I think I have a busy schedule, but all right. That Bishop, man, he was really out for for blood and flogging and demon sex. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the backstory of what I'm going to tell you
1: next week. Nice. Can I hear it sooner? Because I don't want to wait.
0: You will hear it sooner. You're actually going to hear it in a couple of days when we record uh, the episode that will be released during Homegrown. Oh, Yeah. Uh, but but you still have to wait. Oh, Okay, you
1: fine. have to wait till Friday. Well, Sorry. with that in mind, I am gonna wait to rate it. That's totally fair because I didn't get that much supernatural here, so I feel like I'm just leaning towards normal because that's the only part of the story we got. We got the background part. So
0: you got the background part. It was like six pages though, and so I uh, I didn't want to continue to add on to everything that <laughs> that I have to edit.
1: <laughs> so. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. That will be continued next week. I think next week we'll have you record first so people can hop right back into it. Yeah. Boom. Okay. All right. Not to distract from the amazingness that is going to be next week's episode, but I do have a Reddit story for you. Oh, my gosh. Let's do it. So I found this a while ago and kind of saved it. I forgot that I saved it, and then I found it again. Okay. So this was a response to a paranormal subreddit thread titled, What is Your Craziest Paranormal Experience? Okay. So about a month ago, the user StandardPanic5880 replied, Awesome. I used to work at a small office and would often be there by myself. While doing work on the computer, I would occasionally get the feeling of being watched or a shift in the atmosphere of the room. I would also see things out of the corner of my eye from time to time, but figured it was my mind playing tricks on me. There was a hallway with rooms branching out on both sides that I would pass by, and on rare occasions I would see a black shape slowly poke out as if to look at me or retreat back into the doorways. Ew. This was not an everyday thing, though. While being spooked out about it, I still figured it was my overactive imagination making something interesting out of an otherwise mundane and boring work situation. As such, I never mentioned it to any of my friends. I had one of my friends meet me at work one Friday evening because we were going to go out and I was going to drive us while she was going to leave her car in the parking lot. I was showing her around the place and we were talking in the front area that was the end of the hallway when she got a funny look on her face and asked me who else was in the office. I told her it was just us, which I knew for a fact because I had a desk by the front door and had been in all the other rooms throughout the course of the day. I wondered why she had asked that and she told me that she had seen a dark shape peek out of one of the doorways and then retreat back into the room. Uh... A chill ran through me and I said, oh, so you saw it. I felt relief that I wasn't crazy, but also fear that whatever I had been seeing was now more credible and real. Yeah, that's the only problem with getting confirmation. I had never mentioned anything like that to her, so she came in as an impartial observer and saw the same thing. A while later, the same situation occurred with another friend. He was meeting me at the office so that we could carpool somewhere else, and I showed him around and we were chatting, and then he got a quizzical look on his face and pointed to the end of the hallway and said, Who was that? He told me that he had seen an old man walk out from one of the doors and then just turn and look at him before entering one of the doorways across the hall.
0: Oh, but they saw him.
1: I told him it should just be us, but we investigated anyway and found both rooms to be empty. I'd also never mentioned anything to him, but proceeded to tell him about my experience and even about the other time this exact same thing happened before. I had obviously heard of ghosts, but I hadn't heard the term shadow people until a while later. When I read into it, I instantly knew that that was what they were talking about and that was what I had encountered. After looking into the area a bit more, it turns out we are on the same block as a hotel that used to be a saloon and had a history of hauntings and even a special room that you can rent that is supposedly one of where people had experienced the most activity. I can't speak to all that, but I know what I saw and had it verified by two people who had no prior knowledge of the situation. I never got the feeling that anything there was malevolent or evil, Mostly curious, if anything, I continued to have my own occasional sightings, but no more that were ever with a third party. I really didn't like being the one to have to turn off all the lights at night and lock up after the close, though.
0: No. No.
1: I fully agree. So just picture it in your head, everybody. That story I just read you. Being by yourself in an office building. And you just go by to, like, head back to your cubicle and you look down a hall and... Somebody just peeks their head out and then enters back into their room or peeks their head out, quickly shuffles across the hall. Just picture that next time you're in a dark hallway by yourself.
0: I was going to tell you, so the bathrooms at like my full-time job, there is, you know, the standard mirror, like where the sinks are. And then behind it, there is a full-length mirror so that we can, you know, check our outfits because, I don't know, people are constantly on TV, I guess, and. No one bothered to remind me to do that and (laughs) not to sing and dance. Um, But I've not worked there for two years and I've never had anything spooky happen. But over the last couple of weeks, every time I walk in the bathroom, I notice in the full length mirror some sort of like a weird dark thing. And I'm always just like, dude, it's just your reflection from the other mirror reflecting in this mirror. And then it occurred to me last week. I'm like, oh. These mirrors are facing each other, and you're not supposed to do that. So I don't know. I'm going to try and just continue to think that it's just like my reflection in one mirror reflecting in the other mirror. But it has taken me weeks to realize that it could also be something else, because you're not supposed to put mirrors facing each other, because that creates portals.
1: So man, you know what? I wonder how many portals opened in department stores back in the, like, 80s to whenever malls stopped being popular. Because you remember you used to go into bathrooms and they would have to, like, create the illusion of things being bigger. They'd have mirrors yeah. on mirrors. I didn't even think about that.
0: I only ever think about it in terms of, like, houses. Yeah. But I've never thought about it until I kept seeing this dark thing. And then I was just like, oh, it's just your reflection, Brittany. Stop, Stop being such a Paranormal podcast host. And then, (laughs) yeah. But then it it dawned on me that maybe. Maybe. Maybe.
1: If you have a story to tell, you can do so by emailing us directly, leftofskeptic at gmail.com. Or visiting our website, www.leftofskeptic.com and clicking the listener stories tab at the top of the page. You can also find it by clicking the link tree in our bio. You can choose to remain anonymous or include your name, whatever you are more comfortable with. We just ask that you please include your pronouns. We also accept not just listener stories, but suggested locations. Topics. Yeah. Yeah. Let us know. Yeah.
0: That's my part. Uh, You can also follow us on social media. We are on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Left of Skeptic, and
1: Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast. Well... Thank you all for joining us for another Spooky Wednesday, and we will be back next week with the continuation of Brittany's story. Yes. Also, do
0: not forget, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, to check our social media to see whether or not you have won one of our three pairs of homegrown tickets. That's right.
1: Three pairs up for grabs. And so we will have posted that obviously on our social media today spooky mm-hmm. wednesday but we'll also message you directly if you're a winner and we'll figure out how to get those tickets to you oot, oot. Oot, oot. happy spooky wednesday love you happy
0: spooky wednesday okay okay bye, bye. call me maybe <laughs> left of skeptic podcast is written and hosted by kayla moria and Brittany lind this week's episode is edited by me Brittany lind the left of skeptic music is by dave melling and emily havoc and our artwork is by al leblanc okay bye